0: Welcome to Your Cyber Path, the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job by sharing the secrets of experienced hiring managers and top cybersecurity professionals with you. Now, on to the show. Welcome to this episode of Your Cyber Path. I'm Jason Dion, and I'm here with Kip Boyle. Today, we're going to talk about the top five reasons why you're not getting a job right now because we deal with people every single day that are frustrated, upset, and banging their heads against the proverbial wall, trying to get hired into the cybersecurity industry. Now, we are here to help because both Kip and I are both experienced hiring managers in the cybersecurity field. And we've seen a lot of these issues that are keeping candidates from their dream jobs. So let's get started today with our top five reasons why you may not be getting hired right now. First, we have no experience. Kip, what do you think about people with no experience as a hiring manager? (laughs)
1: Well, I, I got a couple of uh, thoughts. The first thought is I typically need somebody with experience. And the reason why is because, well, that it's why I'm hiring, right? I've got problems that need to be solved. I've got um, tasks that need to be done. And I can afford to train you, to, you know, uh, to a certain degree. But if you don't have any experience, then I don't know how to, like, you know, kind of like, I don't know how you're going to take that training and, and really internalize it. Um and so that's that's a big problem that I have, especially you know if I'm a smaller organization and I don't have a big training budget, or maybe I just don't have a very big team at all. You know I'm gonna I'm gonna need somebody that has experience. You know practically the only uh, employer that I am aware of that will take you without any experience is Uncle Sam, the U.S. government, right? But they're still gonna screen you to make sure that you've got the right aptitude, but. Um, most organizations need to see that you have some kind of experience. I mean, that's, your, that's, that, that's what you've, you've uh, seen too, right, Jason?
0: Yeah, so I spent a lot of years with Uncle Sam working specifically with the military, in and around the military. And when I joined the military back in the early 2000s, um, I had zero experience in the job they hired me for. I was hired as a naval reactor, uh, nuclear reactor operator, and I've never touched a nuclear reactor before. I didn't know anything about nuclear power. And yet they took me, because I had the aptitude, they put me through two years of training, they taught me, and then they said, okay, here you go, you're now a nuclear reactor operator. And that is the way Uncle Sam and, and the military tends to do things. We pick up people in the world based on your ability to learn something, not that you already have experience. But most other employers are gonna be looking for you to have some level of experience. And this becomes a huge barrier to entry for people trying to get into the cybersecurity field. I know we've talked about this before in previous episodes. I'll link that back in the show notes of some great ways to get experience when you don't have experience because the big question everybody always has is, if no one will hire me, how do I get experience? Right. But just to keep it kind of short, Kip, what are some of the top ways you see people gaining experience uh, when they don't have a regular J-O-B job that gives them that experience?
1: <laughs> right. Well, so uh, the first thing that I would say is that you can get experience by just doing experiments on your own. So you would just build yourself a home lab, or you can build yourself a cloud laboratory and then you can uh, set up some systems in there you set yourself up a network and then you can actually uh, conduct experiments right so you might say to yourself well i think i'd like to have something to do with vulnerability management Um, so then what you can do is you can go out and get virtual machines that are uh, believe it or not deliberately created to be vulnerable to a bunch of exploits you can go get yourself a uh, a free uh, vulnerability scanner And uh, and then you can actually, you know, pretend that, uh, you know, that you're on the job and you're going to scan this server. You're going to figure out what its issues are. You're going to roll patches. You're going to, you know, change configurations. That's experience. I mean, did anybody pay you to do it? No. But did it did, did you get smarter? Did you figure out how stuff actually works in the real world? You absolutely did. And I think that counts. So that's number one. Number two is you could actually volunteer. There's lots of organizations out there in the world, uh, and you're going to want to look at smaller ones as opposed to larger ones, but they would love to have uh, help uh, with things like patching and um, checking for vulnerabilities. It's all kinds of cybersecurity work that you can do to gain experience, although you may not get paid to do it. And the third thing actually kind of bleeds over into the next thing that we want to talk about, which is... No certifications. Well, if you take a certification like Security Plus, for example, and you do more than just try to study to pass the test, if you actually take the time to do the things that are required of you uh, to get the certification, well, I think that's a form of experience too. Uh, Jason, does that sound right?
0: Yeah, you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about with no experience, when we talk about things like volunteering, Kip mentioned, you want to go for a smaller organization because if you're trying to go to the Red Cross, they have their own cybersecurity teams. They're not going to need you uh, as a volunteer. Instead, if you're going for something that's more of a a local church, a synagogue, your place of worship, a local government that is in a small town that doesn't have the ability to afford a cybersecurity expert, those people are gonna be a lot more apt to let you into their network and let you take over and start doing those things. Uh, Another place I've seen people volunteer is Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. One of the guys on my team he actually volunteers for the local Boy Scout chapter here in Puerto Rico, and he is helping build up their networks and do the securing of their networks to help them as they're getting ready for an influx of summer vacationers and, and summer scouts coming in. Yeah. And so these are all places you can go to gain that experience. And, and really, when it comes to experience, it doesn't necessarily have to be paid experience, although getting a job and getting paid for something is awesome, um, but you know it, it is one of those things you can get by doing some of these other things. Uh, One other great uh, suggestion is that when you're looking at experience and you're trying to get a job, we talked about this in one of our recent episodes called The Two-Step, is apply your current experience to a cybersecurity-like position. So if you're a project manager, get a job being a cybersecurity project manager and that will get you closer to where you wanna be and then you can gain experience and that's still counting as a cybersecurity role and then move into the analyst position or the pen tester position or whatever position is that you're actually looking for. And being able to use that to leverage your existing experience in another field into the cybersecurity world is really helpful and can help you overcome that hurdle of saying, I have no experience. Because if I look at your resume uh, and I work with you one-on-one, I can probably find that you have some experience somewhere, even if you haven't figured it out yourself.
1: That's right. Yeah, and that goes back to something we talk a lot about it's transferable skills. If you've acquired skills in a previous job that isn't in cybersecurity, uh, there's a good chance that those skills will actually uh, come over either uh, entirely or partially. So you should absolutely be looking for um, those skills and then ask yourself, well, how did I get those skills? We probably have experience.
0: Yep. So the second reason why you're probably not getting a job right now is no certifications. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I teach certifications for a living. So you're probably thinking, Jason, you think certifications are awesome because that's how you make your money. But let me just be honest with you. If you don't have any certifications, your chances of getting hired go down dramatically. And it's not because that certification tells me that you're smart and can do the job. It's not. It's just the way the systems are built. So my undergraduate degree is in human resources. And one of the things human resource people love is the easy button. Certifications are the easy button for us because we can say I need somebody who's gonna be a cybersecurity analyst. Well, do they have cybersecurity analyst plus certification from CompTIA? If they do, we'll consider them. If they don't, we'll throw them in the reject pile. Because this day and age with the thousands of people who are applying for every single position because it's so easy to apply online, it is really hard to stand out. And so the first thing they need to do is take that thousand number and get it down to a reasonable number that somebody like Kip or I can actually look at and go through those individual resumes. Because I'm telling you, if I'm hiring for one position, I am not looking through a thousand resumes. I just don't have the time. I may look through 20 or 30 or 40 resumes to find five people who I'm actually gonna interview. And so what happens is if you don't have certifications, you're not making it through the filtering system and you're automatically going out to the reject pile. And this is especially true when you're dealing with a position that lists that certification in the job description. If they say Security Plus Required or Security Plus Preferred, you better have Security Plus or you're not going to get that keyword match. Right. If you're applying for the DOD or its contractors, they are required to have certain certifications for certain jobs. And so for them, it's a yes or no check mark whether or not you have it. So whether you think certifications are valuable or not, I'm here to tell you, you need to have the ones for the jobs listed that you're applying for or you're going to be thrown into that reject pile pretty darn quickly.
1: Yeah. And it's even a little bit more bleak than that because, you know, Jason, we talk about the proverbial reject pile, right? But that kind of implies that a human being has sort of looked at your resume and then said, "Oh, I don't see Security Plus, so you know, I'm, we're not going to we're not going to continue to look at this resume." But that's not how it works at all. Actually what happens is is that there's a big private Google called an applicant tracking system, and if your resume doesn't have the right certifications on it, no human being will ever even see it. So, um, so yeah, sorry, but it's actually a little bit more bleak than Jason was sort of, uh, suggesting. So, so, uh, and certifications aren't just about getting around, uh, gatekeeping or getting through gatekeeping in HR, although that certainly is a big deal, but the certifications themselves, again, as I was talking about with respect to experience can help you actually understand the domain, uh, you know, that you want to work in so that when you, uh, you know, when you get selected for an interview that you're going to be able to talk intelligently about uh, the subject matter. And again, if you if you study this material more than just, uh, hey, I just want to pass this test, then uh, then you genuinely will be able to bring uh, more to the job. And then one last thing I want to say is, um, you know, if, if you if you want to go get a, a certification and and you know the one you want, but the employers that you've been considering are looking for a different one, it's comparable, but it's different, don't make the mistake of thinking that it's not important. It's very important, right, Jason?
0: Yeah, I mean, a great example of this is Pentest Plus and CEH, right? They're both ethical hacking certifications. The difference is CEH has been around since the year 2000 or so, so it's been out for 20 plus years. And so every HR person for a pen testing role or an analyst role writes down CEH on their resume, on that requirement. Now, Pen Test Plus only came out in 2018. In my opinion, it's actually a better certification. It's a harder certification. If you pass Pen Test Plus, you are smarter than somebody who passed CEH, in my opinion. Um, And I recognize that, so when I'm hiring in my company, I know that. But I will tell you, a lot of these big organizations, when you're dealing with an HR person, they don't know the difference. They only know that the old resume they've been, or the old job position they've posted for the last 10 years says CEH, so guess what? This new one's gonna say CEH too. And even though CEH is easier and costs twice as much, you should probably get it if you're applying for those type of jobs because of that reason. Uh, that said, I don't like CEH, I think it's a crappy certification, and I don't even teach it because of that. But from a hiring perspective, if they say CEH, you need to go get your CEH. So that that is the important thing is, it, it, certifications are based on the job you want, so make sure you're thinking about that. The other yeah. thing I'll, I'll, I'll say here with certifications is, you're going to go on Reddit, you're going to go on YouTube, you're going to go on Facebook, and you're going to hear some of the old folks in the industry say, certifications aren't important, I don't care about certifications. Those are people who are technical, those are people who have a job, and those are people who have been doing that job for 10 plus years. For them, certifications don't matter because they have a large enough network where they can say, hey, Kip, I'm looking for a job. Do you know anybody who needs somebody with my skill set? And I bet you Kip can find me a job without me having any certifications because mm-hmm. him and I are our friends and he knows me and he knows my capability. But if you're a brand new person and you don't have experience, certifications can help replace some of that experience and help get you through the gatekeeping that happens in the HR department. So I think we've said enough about no certifications. There's a lot Yes, they say. are important. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to the third reason, which is um, you don't have a reasonable salary expectation. And this actually cuts both ways. You are either expecting to pay way more than what an employer is prepared to pay you as somebody who's relatively new, or you actually aren't expecting enough, and so and so employers aren't taking you seriously. And both of these can be a really a real big problem. Um, and so, how can you get grounded? Well, it's really difficult to get grounded on salary expectations because you're actually at a great disadvantage. Employers have Uh, actual data because they do salary surveys and they actually subscribe to services that are actually uh, provided to them that gives them salary survey data for the metropolitan areas that they're hiring in. And so they actually have hard data. What do we have as job seekers? Well, we're out there on Glassdoor or what have you. Uh, You know, we're talking to people on Reddit or Facebook or whatever. But the problem is, is all that information, all that salary information is really suspect people tend to inflate what they get paid or they'll, they'll tend to deflate uh, pay, you know, if if they've got an ax to grind or something like that. So, um, so the playing field is not at all even. So Jason, what do you, I know you've talked about, you know, how people can, uh, you know, deal with this. So, you know, please share.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to salary expectations, as you said, there's really no true source of information where you can find this unless you're looking at certain positions with certain organizations. So, I'll give an example. As you know, I come from the DOD and government sector. In the government sector, all of their pay bands are published and they're open source. You can go online right now and say, this is a GS-12 position, what does that make? This is a GS-14 position, what does that make? And so you'll have an idea of what that salary is going to be. Now, there is a location difference depending on if you're working in Washington, D.C. or Jacksonville, Florida, because Washington, D.C., they give a 15% pay bump or something like that for a cost of living. But again, that's all open source. You can find that online. When you're dealing with DOD contractors, when you're dealing with the civilian world, though, it really is anybody's game. They can pay you whatever they want, and I may hire, Kip and I might both go for the same job and both get hired. And he might be making $50,000 more than me because he's a better negotiator or he had better information, even though we are completely equivalent in terms of certification, degrees, and years of experience. So salary is just this completely negotiable thing. So what do you do to find out what a reasonable salary is? Well, you gotta use the best things you have at your disposal, which right now, unfortunately, is things like Reddit, things like Glassdoor. Um, You can go onto Glassdoor and you can look up the company you're looking at. Uh, You can also look up similar companies of a similar size and shape based on job position. So if I'm looking for a vulnerability analyst role and I'm looking at a small company of under 50 people, that may pay $80,000 a year per se if I look on Glassdoor and find that out. That means when I'm going into a company that's the same size and shape, it should be somewhere plus or minus 10% of $80,000, somewhere in that range. And so that's the idea as you start looking at these things. Another thing is make sure you consider location because location is important too. If I'm getting hired in San Francisco, $100,000 there does not equal $100,000 in Washington, D.C. or $100,000 in Omaha, Nebraska. Those are three different job markets, three different costs of living. And honestly, if I had those three job offers on the table, I would go live in Omaha because Omaha has a much lower cost of living and my $100,000 is gonna go much further. If I was living in San Francisco, that $100,000 is equivalent to you know maybe $50,000 in Omaha. So you have to keep those things in mind as well, especially now after we're going through this whole pandemic with COVID and people working from home, salary expectations are getting really, really weird because even if you're going and applying for a company in San Francisco that may have formally paid 200000 for that position, they may now only pay you 100000 because they know you're going to be working from your home in Florida instead. And so these are all things that you have to consider. Um, so the, the bottom line here is kind of have an idea of what's reasonable and then work towards that reasonable expectation. And sometimes you're just going to be too far off from the company or they're way too low for what you're willing to accept. And that's okay. They're not the right company for you.
1: Right. Now, the one last tip that I will give you is if you're able to get into, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you're able to get through a series of interviews and you actually get to a point where you can actually start to negotiate um, and the employer's actually prompting you, hey, you know, what are your salary expectations? If you're really good at this and you can get good at this, you may not feel feel like you're very good at negotiations right now, but you can actually get really good at this where you can actually get the employer to tell you what their salary range is, even if they didn't publish it in the job description. But one thing I will definitely tell you never to do is never tell the employer what you make now and never tell them any 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 previous salary you've ever made. That would put you at a great disadvantage.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, you know, um, and I'll tell you from a smaller employer side, uh, I'm a small company, we have under 20 people in our company, Um, right now I think we have 12 or 13 on staff, and it, it is really difficult for me when I'm hiring a new position to go, what does this new position make, or what should it make? Um, A good example of this is I hired somebody to help me with all the technical customer support questions. Nobody else in my company had his background or his knowledge, but I needed that more extensive background and knowledge to help with certifications like Security+, Plus, uh, CYSA+, Pentest+, and things like that. And so when I had to look at his salary versus others, I had to figure out what was the right number that would make somebody with that qualifications come work for me and make him so that we can afford him. And so it was really a balancing act. And when I asked him what he wanted to make, um, he didn't know either, right? So we were both kind of like struggling, like uh, does this number sound good? How about this number? And we kind of went back and forth because I knew I wanted to hire him and he knew he wanted to work for me, but we both weren't sure exactly what the right number was. With bigger mm-hmm. companies, there's a lot more restrictions. They already know what their pay bands are for certain things. But if you're gonna be the, the first or maybe the second or third cybersecurity person at that company, they may not even know what right is for you because cybersecurity pays differently than IT, than yeah. HR, than a secretary, than admin assistant, or any of those other things. So it is a is a hard thing to do on both sides of the table. Um, our number four reason why you may not be getting hired right now is a lack of soft skills. So let's talk a little bit about soft skills. What are soft skills?
1: Yeah. So soft skills uh, are the uh, are kind of what it means to be a human being and to uh, to deal with other people. I mean that's really what soft skills are. Is uh, presenting yourself in a way that people can get to know you, that they might actually like you and then trust you. And that's, uh, I really cannot... Uh, overemphasize how important this is. Hiring managers really want to hire people that they know, like, and trust. It's a big hurdle. In just uh, you know, with with a resume, possibly a cover letter, and then two or three interviews, you've got to share enough with the hiring manager that they can begin to know you, possibly like you, and possibly trust you. And if they if you can't do that, no matter how great your hard skills are. Um, you may not get hired and and you may never get told why. And maybe even the person that's interviewing you can't articulate why it is that they don't wanna offer you the job when you match Uh, so well on every other thing they're looking for and you might, you know, catch them over a beer or something and say, well, why didn't you hire that guy or that woman? I don't know. I just didn't trust them or I don't know. I just couldn't see myself working with them uh, every day of the week. And and so, you know, soft skills are really about connecting with people and about, uh, you know, again, revealing yourself in a way uh, not over revealing yourself, but (laughs) revealing enough of yourself uh, so that people can get can get a sense of, of who you are. So I think that's one big part of of soft skills. Would Would you agree, Jason?
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, I'll give you a, a quick story from my own company. I was hiring for a chief operations officer, a COO in my company, and I got it down to three people that I really liked, um, based on paper, based on their experience, and we went to go do the interviews. And over a series of interviews, out of those three people, the first person who looked best from a technical perspective on paper in their resume uh, ended up being my least favorite. And the reason was when we started talking and interviewing uh, and and having long conversations, she was very much a very slow talker, a very methodical talker. And it kind of drove me a little crazy because I talk pretty fast Um, and, and, and I think very fast and I like things that happen very fast. And she also came from a very corporate background. So she was used to working for a very large company. We're a very small team um, and the way you work in a large company versus a small company is vastly different. And as we started talking, we noticed that there just wasn't a good culture fit between her very uh, stringent schedule based uh, you know very very checklist oriented person and our company the way we operated. And so we ultimately went with the person who was actually not as technically qualified for the position but was a much better cultural fit. and that just goes to the soft skills. We like that woman better. We like the way she operated. We liked the way she talked. We liked the way she interacted with our team. Um, and, and it was a great hiring decision. She's been with us for two years and she has done great things for our company and she has built her technical skill up over those two years to meet or exceed that other person. But because of her cultural fit, she was a much better person. And this is one of the things when you talk about soft skills. It's really hard to teach soft skills it's really easy to teach technical skills. I could teach anybody to be a penetration tester. I can't teach anybody to be likable and be friendly and be punctual and to show up and not look like a slob and all those things that go into soft skills. So you need to make sure you have those things. And If you don't, you need to work on those because those are things that can be holding you back. I had one student who is an extremely, really gifted uh, cybersecurity professional and he was struggling to keep a job because his soft skills were not very good. Um, His technical skills were awesome. And we worked with him over time and got his soft skills to where they needed to be. And he ended up getting a job uh, pretty quickly because again, you know, his big problem was he was blowing the interviews because he was kind of abrasive. He was kind of a jerk. He kind of had this mentality of, I know more than you. And all those things are gonna get you kicked out of the interview room pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, and these things can be, these soft skills, the lack of them, Ah uh, people are usually blind to the fact that they lack in soft skills and so it can take a, some introspection and also you might have to go to your friends some people that you really trust and you might actually have to say to them I'm about to ask you a question I really don't want to ask please be careful when you answer it right don't don't blow me out of the water but you know am, do I have do I have some soft skills uh, problems you know Um and this is called a. Sometimes people call it like a 360, 360 degree feedback or whatever. There, but really, sometimes the only way that you can you can get down to this is by is by asking other people for help, and that can be that can be really tough. Another another angle of soft skills, by the way, is um, is your ability to find jobs by who you know, as opposed to just you know working the job boards all the time. So if you're not able to figure out how to Meet people and get and and you know outside of an interviewing uh, context, just meet people, maintain a network of loose connections so that when you need a job, you can reach out to people and find work that way. That's a, also a good indication that you're probably lacking in some critical uh, soft skills. So uh, consider that dimension also.
0: Yeah, and uh, let's talk about the number five reason why you may not be getting a job right now, uh, and it may be you have a bad fit between your strengths and the job you're trying to pursue. And this can then show up either as lack of experience, lack of certifications, lack of technical skills, lack of soft skills, whatever those things are. Now when we talk about a bad fit between your strengths and the job you're pursuing, you have to think internally. What kind of a person am I? What things do I enjoy doing? For example, are you very checklist oriented? Or are you a very creative problem solver? Those would have very two different different. Yeah, those would have two very different skills inside of the cybersecurity world, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm a checklist-driven person, I should be something like an IT auditor, or maybe a vulnerability analyst, or something of that nature, where I am doing scans, patching scans, making sure all the configurations are checked, making sure everything is done properly, dotting the i's and crossing the t's. Now, on the other hand, if you're a creative problem solver and you hate checklists and you hate having a specific order of everything having to be done. You may be better as a penetration tester where you have to think creatively to break into systems and work your way around different problems. But if you're the, one of those and you're going for the other type of job, you're going to struggle and you're not going to do well in that job and that's going to give you bad performance evaluations. It may have that you're not a good fit and they don't even hire you in the first place and all those things that can happen. Uh, Kip, what, what are some examples you think about when you think about bad fit of strengths and the job?
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was I was uh, trying to hire one time and I use uh, uh, disk... Profiles to help better understand people, and I think Disc is a good uh, is a good instrument to to um, to to accelerate getting to know know somebody quickly. And remember, I told you that you know when you're trying to uh, interview for a job, you know you've got to figure out how to quickly let people know who you are. And I think a Disc profile is a, is a kind of a good way to do that. Anyway, so I was doing Disc profiles with candidates, and I was looking at this one uh, result that was shared with me, and uh, it was a young lady, and she was applying for a job that. I, th- I knew was going to require her to spend a lot of time being alone, working on the computer. But when I looked at her disk profile, uh, it showed me that she was uh, really, really high in her uh, per- preference to talk to people all day long. Now, I don't have a problem with people who want to who want to talk to other people all day long, per se. But the idea that she was going to take this job where she would be talking to people most of the day uh, really struck me as like that might be a bad fit. And so I actually said, you know, I brought this to her attention and uh, and she said, uh, gosh, you know, I've never really thought of that. I've just, you know, just always assumed that. um you know that everybody finds it difficult to spend hours a day every day staring at a computer screen I just I just figured you know that's just the way it was and I was like well you know maybe it's because you know you really need to think about getting a job where you're going to be talking to people most of the day right collaborating with people most of the day maybe that's a much better fit for you maybe you wouldn't find the work to be so difficult and she said well I'm gonna go I'm gonna go think about that and then uh, after a couple of days I got an I got a note from her and she goes I don't want your job (laughs) well I I think I think that's funny because
0: a lot of people have found themselves during the whole pandemic in 2020 and 2021, they started realizing things about themselves. Either I really like being alone in my office, being able to do everything without anybody bothering me and anybody talking to me, this is the best thing ever. And you have the other side of the population is going, this is horrible, I don't like this. I need interaction, I need to talk to people. I don't wanna be locked in my office away from right. everybody. And, and you know, depending on that, you're gonna figure out what kind of a company you wanna work for. In my company, we are all completely remote right now, and that means everyone's working from home. But I have several people on my team who keep open a Zoom link all day long just so that they can talk to each other while they're working because they're social people. And the other parts of us, like me, I just wanna be locked in my office and left alone so I can get the work done, right? And so it just (laughs) depends on who you are and your personality. So understanding that and understanding your strengths and how they fit the jobs you're trying to go for are really, really important here.
1: Right, absolutely. Um, well, listen, I think we've done a really great job of, of you know, uh, getting through the, these five uh, reasons why you may not be getting your job right now. Let's go ahead and wrap up the episode. But let me just recap uh, what those five things are. The first one is you may not have enough experience. The second one is you may have no certifications. The third is you may not have reasonable salary expectations, both both, you know, you may be expecting too much, or maybe you're asking for not enough. The fourth item was a lack of soft skills, and the fifth item was there could be a bad fit between your strengths and work preferences con- uh, compared to the job that you're pursuing. So those are the five things. We're really glad that you're that you're here uh, with this episode, uh, here with us uh, for this episode. Now, listen, if you're struggling with. With breaking the code or decoding uh, how to get your dream cybersecurity job, I hope you're going to join us again next time to learn more about the cybersecurity industry and the different things that you can do that are going to really up up your chances of of getting into cybersecurity or or maybe even getting promoted. Maybe maybe you already have an entry level uh, job uh, type job and and you're ready for new challenges. Well, you know, come back because we can help you with that too. Now, if you're but if you're trying to break in and and you're struggling. Uh, we've got a quiz specifically for you. It's free. I think you should go take it. So just go to yourcyberpath.com, and um, and and you can get this free quiz. It just takes a few minutes, and what it's going to do is going to help you identify what's holding you back from getting hired. There's actually three common reasons why people are getting derailed in the hiring process. And uh, we want you to go out there and figure out what that is for you so you can work on it. So what you do is you just point your web browser to yourcyberpath.com forward slash hiring quiz. So just take the word hiring and quiz, just smash it together. Yourcyberpath.com forward slash hiring quiz. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Or you can just you know, hit the uh, homepage and uh, there's a link there. Just uh, search around for it and uh, take this short quiz now. Thanks again for being here, everybody. We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Your Cyber Path. Don't miss an episode. Press the subscribe button now. If you would like to learn more about how to get your dream cybersecurity job, then be sure to visit yourcyberpath.com where you can access the show notes, search the archive of our top tips and tricks, and discover some fantastic bonus content.